Where rascals and scoundrels were really bad eggs. Drink up, me hearties. Yo-ho! Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. Arrgh! Grant. And I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. That's right. We're here for the information richer or poorer. What? <laughs> I how many times I gotta tell you I can't keep this up forever? Yes, you you gotta. You started it, it can't go away. Well, we have a very special episode. Oh, this is where we learn about drug addiction. No. So this is like the first episode of our first series. Yeah. It's going to be on. You ready for it? You ready for it? Disney. <laughs> We're going to talk about Disney, my favorite thing ever. You guys might think it might be death. It's not. It's Disney. <laughs> well, you've tried one for yourself. Well, never know. Today, we are going to focus on the most magical place on Earth. The Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. Okay. It might be a little weird we're starting here. Magic mm -hmm. Kingdom's not the first thing Disney did, by any means. No, those would be the, those uh, Alice in Wonderland cartoons. Yeah, those are cool and weird. <laughs> well, when you talk about, like, Disney parks, mm -hmm. Disneyland's usually where you start. I'm choosing not to start there because I've never been there. <laughs> I want to save that. For after I've been there. So this is an East Coast series. We're also focusing on the Magic Kingdom. So we gotta, like, skip over some of the other stuff. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, Epcot and all that. That's its own episode. We're not gonna talk about Epcot. We're gonna avoid it. Because we're gonna get to it later. Some okay. other time in the future. So, okay, now... There's a plan to this craziness. Now that I know what we're not gonna talk about, what are we gonna talk about? Where do we start? In Florida. Naturally. Sure. Where Walt Disney World exists. <laughs> Well, first off, I've been to Disney World like four times. Whoa, stop bragging. You've Gosh. been once yeah. with me. So I think, though, I don't know. I don't know how much of what I'm going to say you don't know, because I feel like you turned into a bit of a Disney nut after we went. See, the thing is, I hate my job a lot. So just like retreating into those memories, it, it helps me get through the and, day. And like Googling information. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see if you know don't know any of this. I don't know. I, I'm expecting to be surprised, yes. Okay. I want to learn something. Walt Disney World is over 27,000 acres. It's huge. It's big. That's why your feet are so sore at the end of the day. Yeah. It's walking just all over the place. Uh, it has 27 resort hotels, mm -hmm. nine non-Disney hotels. Why would you stay there? I don't know. Uh, four theme parks, two open water parks. Golf courses, camping, shopping, etc. There's a lot of stuff going on there. Disneyland opened in 1955. Mm -hmm. Magic Which King we're not going to talk about. The end. We're not put, a, put a period <laughs> on that. Moving on. It will get mentioned a little bit. Just a little bit. Okay. <laughs> just a teeny little bit. Magic Kingdom was the first park to open at Walt Disney World um, on October 1st, 1971. It is 107 acres. Mm -hmm. uh, Disneyland, in comparison, is 85 acres. Magic Kingdom's actually the smallest of the four Walt Disney World parks. 
2015, Walt Disney World hosted uh, 20.49 million people. That's the biggest flash mob I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. It's the most visited theme park in the world for 10 consecutive years and most visited in North America for like the last 15, at least. Mm -hmm. I want to know where people were going like 16 years ago instead. Oh, is that when one of the new Universal Parks opened? Harry Potter's coming for you, mouse. Watch your back. Damn you, Harry Potter. They're not paying us, by the way. None of these people are paying us. <laughs> but you know, if they want to give me a free vacation, I won't say no. I'm going to give them free publicity no matter what. It's not how it works. <laughs> so that's, okay. where, that's where we are today. So that's where we are today. So we need to talk about... The 70s. We need to talk about before the 70s. Oh, goodness. Caveman days. So after the success of Disneyland opening, Walt Disney Productions began looking for a new project. Towards the end of the 50s, like 1959, there was a survey actually that showed that only 5% of uh, Disneyland guests came from east of the Mississippi. At the time, that's where like 75% of the U.S. population lived. So they were missing out on a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So it led to an interest in having a project on that side of the country. An, an East Coast park. An East Coast For park. For the East Coast people. Yes, because they weren't coming all the way out there. So there were a lot of areas that were being considered for this project. If we were to do this, where could we do it? Um, and there were, you know, things that they needed to keep in mind, like it had to be a climate that they could have something at year-round. Mm -hmm. There's no point in having a park and then closing it for part of the year because it's snowing. Um, so, obviously, southern parts of the country. Florida had a very big tourist boom already. Mm -hmm. So that was especially of, in of interest. In November 1963, Walt Disney actually flew over the current area of the park course, before it was there. And they saw that it had a lot going for it. It had, you know, well-developed network of roadways already. There was a plan for Interstate 4, uh, Florida Turnpike. Um, it was also close to an Air Force base, which would later become Orlando International. Okay. It's very important to have air travel. Yes. They had big interest in that area, and it led to them, like, deciding we should do it there. And this led to their project being known as the Florida Project. It would be rather silly to call it the Massachusetts Project. That would have thrown people off eventually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when they, like, found out. They're like... never going to figure this out. So shortly after, they decided to build this project. Yeah, this project there. They've got hundreds of thousands of acres to acquire. Yes, they do. <laughs> so they begin to do that. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how they do that? Yeah, yeah. This was mostly useless swampland that they could buy up for really cheap if they did it quiet-like, right? Yep. So they set up dummy corporations with names that didn't have Walt Disney's name in them. Yep. So it just seemed like some schmo is buying a bunch of swamp, whatever. You can have that for dirt cheap. Who cares? Exactly. And if it looks like a bunch of different schmoes... Nobody knows that there's one person, so they don't know to jack up the price. Exactly. Yeah, so some of the, like, dummy corporation names they used were uh, Compass East Corporation, Latin American Development and Management Corporation, my favorite, I-4 Corporation. Because they're planning for Interstate 4? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Tomahawk Properties Incorporated, and then Reedy Creek Ranch Incorporated, which that Reedy Creek would eventually, like, 
buy all the other dummy corporations' property, so that way every one thing owned it. There can be only one. Yeah. Probably for like a dollar, because it's all like internal shell game stuff. Yeah, so they were able to like buy like 30,000 acres because of these dummy corporations. Mm -hmm. And as you said, no one knew who it was. So they were all like, yeah, I have this money for cheap. It would swamp. What do I care about it? Mm -hmm. Did you hear about the like mineral rights? I did not know about the mineral rights. Don't? Okay. Well, so some of the- I thought the most popular mineral there was concrete and alligators. I, I don't know what like minerals it was, but apparently a lot of some of the land they were buying, um, Tufts University owned mineral rights to a bunch of it. Okay. So that means that at any point in time, the university could come in and demand use of the land and then remove any building or structure that was on top of it to get to the minerals. <laughs> um, so they needed those rights. And eventually they were able to negotiate a deal uh, to buy them for like $15,000. It would be great if there were an actual mining camp underneath Big Thunder Mountain. That'd probably be kind of dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> but think of the theming, dear. The theming! One thing, too, is uh, through all these, like, contract negotiations to, you know, buy this land for super cheap, they did some sneaky stuff where they, like, delayed, like, submitting paperwork and, like, filing these contracts mm -hmm. um, with, like, the state and stuff. Because they knew, like, once it was on file, you know, that's kind of like public record, and then, like, it would connect to Disney and stuff. Mm -hmm. So they delayed it as long as they could until, like, all the contracts were set so no one could, like, back out of it and be like, no, give me more money. <laughs> I know who you are. One thing that's funny as well, the land was being bought up. Um, there were lots of, like, rumors going around about who was buying it. Mm-hmm. There was quite a big rumor that they thought it was like a NASA development. Ooh. Um, there's that would be much more useful to humanity. <laughs> there was also stuff about like wealthy people at the time buying it. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that rich person's probably buying up something to build a like mansion on. But one of the... Technically, yes. <laughs> there were rumors, though, that it was Disney. Uh-huh. So in like May 1965... The Orlando Sentinel published an article stating um, this rumor that had been going around that Disney was building an East Coast Disneyland. Uh, but the writer was like, no, it's not true. Uh, There's an earlier interview with Disney where they said they're not planning that. They're not making a new park. Um, so this rumor that's going around is wrong. Mm -hmm. It does make you wonder about these rumors, like what is a leak and what is luck, you know? Well, in October... 1965, an editor from the Centennial visited Disneyland during the 10th uh, anniversary celebration. Mm -hmm. And in an interview, they straight up asked Disney if they were connected to the purchase of land. Uh -huh. And it said that there was this look of like shock and fear that went over Walt's face before <laughs> he like denied it. Mm -hmm. So that editor went home and published an article saying they thought it was true. Which caused Disney to freak <laughs> a little bit. They weren't planning to publicly announce their plans until November 15th. So they asked the Florida governor, Hayden Burns, to confirm the rumor on October 25th, um, but then kept the official reveal and press conference for November 15th. Can't throw this guy off his plans. He's got a plan. He's got a plan. He's, He's just going to have, like, 
He's he's going Someone to yell else. at a governor until he can stick to his plan. <laughs> yeah. Basically, this rumor had been going around, though, for months before it was mentioned in that article. So mm-hmm. it was like a good almost year, mm-hmm. people thinking it was Disney, and then it was. There's actually a YouTube video of the press conference. And you can see that in the show notes. Some things that are really interesting in the press conference, the question of, will it be Disneyland? And uh, they said, no, it won't. It will be the equivalent. Um, but there'll be a distinction between the two. They never referred to it as Disneyland Florida, but referred to it always as like, well, whatever it becomes. Right. Whatever th- this, this is project still becomes. really early days. Like they're, Super early. They're like five years out from opening the thing. Yeah. Walt did say that uh, attractions with appeal might come from uh, Disneyland, um, but they really want to develop new things. Uh, he said that he doesn't like to make sequels to his movies and doesn't want to do that with the park. So take that, Michael Eisner. <laughs> Direct a video. <laughs> and there was also a focus on uh, when they built Disneyland. They had hoped like to gain the respect of the community and hoped that they could do that again here in Florida, that it wasn't just entertainment but they wanted it to be educational, and they really wanted it for family, mm-hmm. which family was, like, the big thing to Walt. Yeah. You know anything about him. Family, that- intellectual property rights, making lots of money, trains. Trains were really big. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of other things, too. <laughs> but there was a great sense of him wanting things that families could go to. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of personal reasons there for that. Right. Without going into all that now, though, because we're talking about Magic Kingdom. We're not talking about this isn't the history of Walt, Walt Disney right now. <laughs> That's for later. Here, here's where it comes. I couldn't do an episode without death. He died on December 15th, 1966, before construction could begin and 10 days after his 65th birthday. In November, he had been diagnosed with lung cancer. And by the end of the month, he was taken to the hospital where he died of circulatory collapse caused by the cancer. Gotta get sad. <laughs> Gotta get sad here. But in that whole time, he's still just like elbow deep in the planning, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's stories of him lying in that hospital bed and talking about plans and just like pointing to the ceiling as he visualizes like different ideas for, for the layout and the arrangement of attractions. Yeah. It's, it's got weird notes of like Moses getting to the edge of the promised land and being denied entry. Yeah. Like he, he just looks at it and he dies. Yeah. There's stories of like how, cause he was feeling unwell for so long before he was actually diagnosed with this cancer that like he was working himself to death, basically. Mm-hmm. Like he was working himself past his physical limit at that point. Because it was so important to him. Like, he wanted to do this, and he had plans, and he had ideas, and he wasn't going to let anything stop him, and then he got stopped. Yeah. Yeah. So, after Walt's death, uh, his brother Roy, who had been planning to retire, put off his retirement and took over for Walt. Kept the planning going, and construction began in uh, 1967. Okay. Roy saw that the Magic Kingdom came to life. It came a bit more of a copy of Disneyland than Walt planned for, 
mm-hmm. maybe. Because he said that, like, that's not what he wanted. A lot of the things you heard about, like how, without going into details of Epcot, all the stuff he planned for. Right. For Walt Disney World that involved Epcot and all these other things changed a lot. In, in the end, it was just a theme park with a couple of the planned hotels. Yeah. It was larger, it was improved upon, and it happened. It sure did. <laughs> it happened. <laughs> At the inauguration in 1971, uh, Walt Disney World was dedicated to Walt by his brother, Roy. One thing a lot of people don't realize is the inauguration was actually on October 25th. Uh-huh. And opening day was October 1st. There's almost a month of an undedicated park. Yeah. Anything could happen. Yeah, and there's a reason for why they delayed that. Oh, what what is that, dear? They didn't want to have the disasters of Disneyland. Right, right, because when Disneyland opened, it has a famously bad opening day. Yes. As commemorated in the greatest film of all time, Jurassic Park. Paint was still wet, nothing was ready to go, things were breaking, the crowds are crazy. And they did it all on live television. All on live television. They did not want this at Disney World. That That is a good case for the no-sequel policy. <laughs> do not do that again. That's one of the reasons why they, like, put that off, mm-hmm. is so that they could deal with stuff. So, uh, in October 1971, after the park opened, Roy retired. In December, he complained of a spot over his eye, scheduled a visit to his optometrist, and died of a seizure the next day, on December 20th, 1971. Da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> We can't do an episode without death. Well, it's hard to do an episode about 78-year-old men exerting themselves with building the 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 biggest theme park ever to that point. I, I think it would not expect things to go bad I, for them. It wouldn't be as sad if it wasn't that he finally got to retire. Yeah, yeah. Like he wanted to retire. He, he had a 2-month retirement. He put it off. To, like, make his brother's dream come true, retired, and died. Poor guy. I like Roy. Roy's Roy's a good guy. Roy might be my favorite of the Disney brothers. Yeah. I think so. Getting away from death. (laughs) Getting away from that. Be sure to read the safety requirements on every attraction. Some of them, just be careful of your pre-existing heart conditions. Let's let's talk, go back to... Magic Kingdom, though, and Disney, and things opening. We're going to talk about things opening. And so, the first thing to open Mm -hmm. is not the Magic Kingdom. (gasps) But you said. But it wasn't. It was the Walt Disney World Preview Center. Uh Uh-huh. And what, what is the Walt Disney World Preview Center? What does one do there? You go, and you are greeted by a hostess, and they give you a tour of the plans of Disney World. So you can see, like, artist renderings, aerial views. You can watch a movie presentation. You can make reservations and buy souvenirs. <laughs> hey, there's a great big scale model, too. That, too. Yes, there's a very big model. Yeah, so the preview center was open daily, 9 to 5. Uh, it opened January 1970 and didn't close until September 30th. 1971, right before it opened? Yeah, just the day before opening day. Yep. It was there to get people excited. It it just speaks to the the uncanny marketing 
genius of like mid-century Disney. Like, okay, we're going to build this thing. And uh, can we make selling the thing into its own attraction? Can we make people want to come and watch a video? And then let's make a film about that place and, and put, put it, it on, on a TV, TV show, show so people can get a tour of the place where you get the tour. The TV show, which is itself just an infomercial, but people like it because it's entertaining anyway. It's a well-oiled machine. It's, it's impressive. A few days before mm-hmm. the park opened, Florida Highway Patrol estimated that 300,000 people might try to get to the park. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty average day. <laughs> so, like, some people were very worried about this. Like, mm-hmm. some people were, like, staying in rest stops, just sleeping in their cars slightly beforehand, because they were like, oh, I gotta get there. I gotta be the first one there. Only about 10,000 people showed up opening day. And some of them were very smelly and <laughs> sore from their rest stop situation. <laughs> it might sound like, oh, that's like... Terrible. That's exactly what they wanted. They purposely had opening day in October because they wanted smaller crowds. What What's odd to me is that that was a Friday. Because if they really wanted to to shrink the crowd, do it on Tuesday. I mean, that's already like a school day. That's true. Still a school day. It's still a work day. Well, because they did it that day, and then that the inauguration was later on. It mm-hmm. didn't draw the crowds. Like, there wasn't press coverage that was automatically going to be oh, happening. Okay. There wasn't, like, I'm going to be on TV. Yeah, there were still news crews and stuff there, but it wasn't live coverage. It wasn't the ridiculous circus that the yeah. uh, Disneyland opening was. Yeah. They didn't want it to be what that was. So Because they wanted the smaller crowds, so that way they could fix problems. Mm-hmm. They knew there were going to be problems. They could fix them. They gave themselves 25 days to do it before the big dedication day. Yeah. Ah. It's actually, like, super smart. I see what you did there, Roy. That's why you're my favorite Disney brother. Um, To put into, like, perspective, 10,000 people there. On an average day, they get, like, 50,000 people. Okay. Coming through there. Average day, not, like, high peak time when they have yeah. to, like, shut it down. Just Th- this average. This is not uh, New Year's or Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Labor Day. So still... A lot less, but mm-hmm. not 300,000 people. <laughs> um, Which probably would be New Year's, Christmas, <laughs> Labor Day. <laughs> the Magic Kingdom opened with uh, the Contemporary Resort, the Polynesian Resort, a couple golf courses, mm-hmm. uh, and the monorail. Well, yeah, you got to get to all these things. Yeah. And both those hotels were connected by the monorail. Uh, contemporary, for those who don't know, is that one that has, like, is known for the monorail going through it. Yeah. It's really cool. That's it's really cool. <laughs> that, like, blew people's mind then. Like, what? Goes through the building. Um, there was also the 200-acre lake of the Seven Seas Lagoon. It's the lagoon, though, so of course it's open. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to close a lake. You tell the alligators, but they keep coming around. Don't touch the water. <laughs> don't touch it. I, I th- one of my favorite things about the layout of the whole thing is how the parking and the park are on opposite sides of the lagoon. Mm-hmm. So, like, they get to control the, the way you first see it. It's going yeah. to be on the monorail or on some of the boats or, or whatever. Or the tram. Yeah. Like, you, you don't just get to park your car and get out of your par- car and be there. And never mind the noise and the exhaust fumes. Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, for crowd control and everything as well, it's just such a nice 
solution, no matter how inconvenient it might have seemed at the time. Well, also, like, the whole idea of, like, the entrance gate there and at Disneyland, you know, you have to walk under the train, mm-hmm. the railroad. The railroad is like the curtain. Yeah, yeah. So when, you know, you can't really, you can't see anything into the park because it's blocked by a railroad station and you have to walk under it. And then once you're there, it's like the curtain has opened and you have now entered. That just like helps support that idea of being like presented Mm -hmm. to it and not having it ruined by a car almost hitting you or something. (laughs) (laughs) All, All my worst days start with being hit by a car. Some things that like... Are you unique to Disney in a way? Is or to Walt Disney World? To, to Magic Kingdom. Magic Kingdom was uh, all the like tunnels under it. Ooh, the secret tunnels. The utilidors. Yeah. Ut- yeah. Utility corridors. Yeah. Utilidors. Uh, which a lot of people know about those. They're still cool. There's <laughs> hidden tunnels. So, so for people who don't know, what what are they and what are they for? It said, legend has it, that a wise old man named Walt. <laughs> saw a Frontierland cowboy in Tomorrowland at Disneyland. <gasps> and this was very upsetting because he didn't want a character intruding on an area they weren't from. Yeah, it, it just... It mo- messes with the magic. It's your immersion. It's the verisimilitude. This is where the tunnel system comes into play. It is a system of tunnels under the park that, like... I think I believe it goes like in a circle and then it like cuts through and it branches off in a couple ways. And it's a way for char- characters to get from one end to the other without being seen. Mm-hmm. Employees to be able to get where they need to. Um stuff like trash, food services, uh even like medical help to get to places in the park without like disturbing mm-hmm. the guests. So it's a s- way to like do all the business things you need to do to keep the place running without it being seen. Mm-hmm. It's something Disneyland did not have. So when they built Magic Kingdom, they had the idea to do it. As Magic Kingdom expanded, apparently the tunnels did not get expanded with it. So it's Ooh. just the initial um, size of the park. Okay. Um, the tunnels aren't built underground. Uh-huh. They're built at ground level. And everything's built on top of them. Yeah. Because it's Florida. Because it's Florida. Where people don't have basements. Yeah. High water table. It's swampy. Don't build down. Build up. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, like, all the streets are considered, like, second story. And then there's certain areas of the park, like Fantasyland and by Cinderella's Castle, that's actually, like, Mm -hmm. third story. Yeah. The the whole park is slightly slanted up. Yeah. So, like... That helps with, like, the perception of stuff, too. Mm Mm-hmm. It's cool. And the dirt. The dirt? Se- the dirt from Seven Seas Lagoon was used to, like, fill in the area. Because it wasn't even a real lagoon. No, they or- totally made it. <laughs> totally made it. I mean, parts of it might have been original, but they dug that out to make right. a 200-acre lagoon. And and put your uh, hotels around it exactly how you want them. Exactly. Opening day attractions. But um bum Here we go. Here's what you can see. We're at, we're at, this list isn't, it's not complete. Sure. Because there's like certain things like performances and shows that are really hard to keep track of. So we're just going to talk more about like big attractions. Right. Here. But opening day stuff. Yeah. You had Country Bear Jamboree. 
Okay. Dumbo the Flying Elephant. Oh, well, of course. Frontierland Shootin' Arcade. Never did it. Uh, Jungle Cruise. Love it. Mad Tea Party. You love it. Peter Pan's Flight. It was under construction. <laughs> Cinderella's Golden Carousel. You loved it. Swiss Family Treehouse. Tear it Ugh. out. Tear it out. Get rid of it. That's, that's how you know they aren't paying us. <laughs> the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> Once. The Haunted Mansion. Oh, I loved it. The Grand Prix Speedway. That is what is... Tomorrowland Speedway. Tomorrowland Speedway. Uh-huh. I got original names in here. Okay. Uh, Walt Disney World Railroad Main Street USA Station. Was that the only station it had on opening yes. day? So it was just a loop? Yes. Uh, there was also a Tropical Serenade. And what what's that called these days? Tiki Room. Oh. It's the tiki room. It's your favorite. Tiki, 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 tiki room in the tiki, 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 tiki room. Yeah. It's a small world. Uh-huh. Uh, no, that one's your favorite. Okay. It's a small world after all. Okay. The Mike Fink Keelboats. Those are gone. Uh, Diamond Horseshoe Review. Seasonal. Oh, we're going to get there, darling. Okay. Uh, Mickey Mouse Review. That's gone. Um, There's also... And th- those were, like, the main attractions. There was stuff that was, like, you know, like, I believe the Penny Arcades were open, but mm-hmm. and, like, other various performance stuff. It's Some in- of the, like, Main Street USA, like, I think, like, cars were open. Mm-hmm. But those aren't listed on stuff. What What's impressive to me is how many of these still stand. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure they've all been uh, refurbished oh, yeah. and, and reimagined over the 45 years, but so many of them are still there. Yeah. Even if there means like 80 feet to the east or something. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're going to talk about some of them a little later. Yeah, there's only like three of those things that just don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And the rest exist in, like, different ways or the same way. One thing that's interesting is that October 2nd is when the riverboat opened. It did not open opening day. It opened the day after. That's that's pleasant. If yeah. you're there for one day, skip it. If you're there for two days, maybe. <laughs> well, I hope you're there for two days so you get it the next day. There's so much to do at the Magic Kingdom. Ma- um, maybe they are paying us. I feel like... um. People often think that the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride was an opening day ride. It wasn't. It didn't open until October 14th. It got there before the dedication. What do you want? <laughs> what do you, come on. Well, when you look at, like, information about opening day Disney, there's a lot of um, conflicting information. And I think it's because a lot of people were confused about dedication day mm-hmm. being different than opening day. And oh, so a lot of those lists yeah. get like smooshed together mixed up and where you're like but wait that doesn't say that but this says that and you really got to like look at the like dates Mm -hmm. um because it it wasn't opening day it was opening month but there's a difference um So, so what else came in that uh those early early days flight to the moon would open later that year um that's i know what that is now yeah we're gonna talk about that one okay along with uh fort wilderness campground the following year, you'd get Walt Disney World Railroad Frontierland Station and the Main Street Electrical Parade, <laughs> which is gone. <laughs> you, Disney. So while we, uh, <gasps> while we mourn uh-huh. some recent announcements, uh-huh. why don't we take a quick break? Okay.
So, the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World is open. Uh-huh. What started with huge plans got pared away and whittled down to what is still a huge and exciting theme park. Yes. So, tell us about what the, the Magic Kingdom experience was like in the 1970s, please. I think a good place to start with that is tickets. Because well, you gotta have a ticket you gotta have a to ticket. go. And I found some some cool stuff from uh, 1973. Okay. Like, ticket information. Like, actual, like, pictures of, like, the brochures for tickets and everything. Ah, with a map. There was a map in it. Oh. <laughs> There's lots of really great resources out there for, like, old Disney maps. See, uh, I don't, I don't know it if it's come up on the show yet before, folks, but I got a thing for maps. Yes. Maps. I'm always like, oh, this place has a map. Here you go. And he's mm. like, yes. I know how to keep you occupied. It's just the way you distill information of a physical space into a representation. That's okay. In 1973, mm-hmm. general admission was 450 for an adult. That that's like the gate price. 450 you're in. 450 included transportation, so the monorail. The ferry, the trams. Okay. Uh, admission mm-hmm. and all free shows, exhibits, and entertainment. I would hope that the free stuff is included, yes. <laughs> um, additional tickets were required for rides. Not right. all rides, but most rides. You could buy them individually or mm-hmm. in like bulk sets of like eight or 12. Like, like a booklet. Yeah, like a booklet of tickets. Um, each book came with a certain amount of tickets in the categories. Right. they were broken into cat- letter categories, which I'll break down in a second. But really interesting thing here is both at Disneyland and Magic Kingdom, it was suggested that for first-time guests, get a guided tour. A guided tour was $7.50. It included all that general stuff, plus a three-hour tour with a cast member who took you on five attractions and then gave you two extra coupons for rides. <laughs> So when you say it includes all that other stuff, that includes your 450, so it's just an extra three on top? Uh-huh. Yeah, I to would... To have someone give you a tour. I would follow that instruction. No no wonder they... Now that's like an additional, like, $70. No wonder they don't do that anymore. <laughs> it's so much cheaper to just print a map. But they suggested this for anyone... Yeah. ...who had never been there before. They've got to be taking a loss on that. <laughs> I think, what, I think what were so? cast member wages in 1973 to make this worth it? Not much, probably. Oh, there you go. Rides fell into categories of A, B, C, D, or E. Mm-hmm. Category A was the carousel, and then, like, all the Main Street vehicles. So, like, the fire engine, horseless carriage, horse cars, omnibus, the jitney, all that stuff. The jitney sounds made up, dear. What What is a jitney? <laughs> it's like an old-fashioned car. Okay. That's what I understood it to be. It's like an old-fashioned car. Sure. Horseless carriage type thing. <laughs> Maybe it's a brand I, I found name. a lot of other people being like, what is that? <laughs> what is this name? It was a, a lot of Disney blogs where people are like, what? Thank you, Disney nerds, for keeping the word jitney in the world's lexicon. We would have lost it without you. Yeah. Ticket B was Dumbo, Tea Party, Shooting Gallery, uh, Keelboats, and then the cinema. There the was like cinema. a cinema on Main Street. They don't have that anymore, do they? The cinema is they have now a building, but it's not. Yeah, it's now where they sell all the um, like art of animation type stuff on right, Main Street. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is now. 
the C ticket C was ticket. the Grand Prix Raceway, Peter Pan, Snow White, Mr. Toad, Treehouse. Really? You're going to waste your C ticket on the Treehouse? I know. I'm like, the Treehouse really does not fit with these other things. Even the Grand Prix Raceway is not that great. But I can at least it's a ride. You're not just climbing some stairs. It, it is interesting seeing this 1973 list, how many new post-opening month attractions there are in this breakdown, though. Yeah. The D ticket got you Flight to the Moon, uh, the Skyway, Mickey Mouse Review, the Railroad, Riverboat, and Tiki Room. The Railroad? They really overestimated the, the, the draw of the Railroad, I think. I mean, well, by that time, they had two stations, so it could get you to the back of the park. It couldn't get you to Tomorrowland. E ticket got you Small World, 20,000 Leagues, Country Bear Jamboree, Hall of Presidents, Haunted Mansion, and Jungle Cruise. One thing about this I think is interesting is that uh, these tickets went away. Like, mm-hmm. it's just general admission now mm-hmm. and has been for a long, long time. But the language around them hasn't. Yeah. Like, when they announce a new uh, attraction coming or a whole new expansion, it's like, uh, the Star Wars land will have two new e-ticket rides. There hasn't been an e-ticket for decades. <laughs> but you know what we mean by that. But yeah, that that legacy continues, despite the system not continuing. <laughs> now we're going to start talking about things that existed and changed and no longer exist. And we're mm-hmm. going to get into, like, kind of... We're not going to talk about every ride. We'd be here four days. Um, there are plenty of specifically dedicated podcasts whose every episode is about Disney parks. You, you just, like... I want to get in on that. Throw a rock at iTunes. You'll find one. <laughs> There's a thousand. But we're going to talk about some, some stuff. So when Magic Kingdom opened, mm-hmm. it opened with six lands. Right. Okay. Main Street USA, Adventureland, Frontierland, Liberty Square, Fantasyland... And Tomorrowland. And just like the utility utilidors, they're all sort of radially arranged mm-hmm. out of a central hub. Yes. With the castle in the middle. Only one land was ever added. Uh-huh. In 1988, Mickey's birthday land was added <laughs> to celebrate Mickey's 60th birthday, or the 60th anniversary of Steamboat Willie. Same thing. So and where was it? You know where New Fantasyland is? Sure. And we're like... Dumbo now is and like the circus mm-hmm. stuff right there. Oh, like it went through quite a few changes though. I'm sure. So when like guests entered the park, there was an announcement from Minnie that said she was inviting them to a surprise party for Mickey and Aww. they would take the railroad back to the third station ever <gasps> added to the railroad, Mickey's birthday land station. Technically though, so you had the Main Street Station. Then they built the Frontierland Station. Mm-hmm. They actually built a second Frontierland Station. Right. Because of Splash Mountain. So they opened a station here. It was decorated as the like Mickey Mouse Birthday Express. And Mickey's Birthday Land had attractions where a 60-foot tall inflated Mickey house, Granny Duck's Farm, Minnie's Surprise Party Show, Mickey's Hollywood Theater, and a meet and greet with Mickey in his dressing room. I don't know. That that just seems like an invasion of privacy. He's busy. He's a working professional. And then it closed in April 1990, but reopened in May as Mickey's Starland. Mickey's Starland show replaced the birthday show. The train got a new sign. That's about all that changed. And it stayed that way uh, for six years. They did have like a 1995 holiday change to Mickey's Toyland. 
mm-hmm. sometime within this like Mickey's birthday land and Mickey's Starland, I was there. Yeah. Yes. I don't know when. I know I was there as a very small child. I'm not sure exactly when I saw it, but I have a picture with Mickey in that dressing room. Well, it's, it's nice that he he uh, took time out of his busy <laughs> schedule preparing for all these shows. Yeah. So in 1996 is when it became Mickey's Toontown Fair. Uh-huh. Um, that's when the Barnstormer was added, which s- does still exist. Mm-hmm. Um, Minnie's house and Donald's boat were also added. Um, that closed in 2011, and in 2012, they opened Storybook Circus, As, part of New Fantasyland. Right. Um, which is cool. And the train station was completely redone, completely rebuilt. And it still doesn't get you to Tomorrowland, so... Close. So yeah, that is the only land that has been added to Magic Kingdom, and it is now gone, because New Fantasyland is not a separate land. It is just the new development within Fantasyland. I mean, Storybook Circus is kind of like a sub thing? That's exactly it. There's two, there's sublands. There's Storybook Circus ah. is a subland, sub and then there's the Enchanted Forest, which is where uh, the Be Our Guest restaurant is, all the bell stuff, all that. That's another subland. All this darn bureaucracy... Uh, the, the Magic Kingdom <laughs> government, I, I, it could use a, a sweeping out, I tell you what. So we're going to talk about Cinderella's golden carousel. This you should know. You should know what that carousel is. I know what the carousel is. You know, is. It's, it's our favorite thing. It doesn't have this name anymore, but we're getting to that. We're going to get there. So the carousel was built by the Philadelphia Toboggan Company in 1917. What they were doing building carousels, nobody knows. It was one of the most prestigious carousel companies. Okay, so you're telling me their toboggans were garbage. <laughs> it is the oldest ride at Disney. Yeah, like at I mean, a Disney yeah. Park. 1917. Yeah. It's coming up on its 100th birthday. Yeah. Congratulations, carousel. Um, you made it. So the carousel was originally the Liberty Carousel. Mm-hmm. And it was delivered to Belle Isle Park in Detroit, Michigan. Woo! Woo! Um, it operated there until 1928. At that time, it was the largest merry-go-round in North America. It was decorated in uh, red, white, and blue, very patriotic, with, like, shields and eagles and flags and Ms. Liberty. And Do you think that's what attracted Walt to it? Because he's a real rah-rah patriot kind of guy. He made the Hall of Presidents, for crying out loud. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. So, in 1928, it was moved back to the company and went through refurbishment, and then it moved to Olympic Park in New Jersey. You can find lots of pictures of it at Olympic Park, but not at Belle Isle. So it operated there uh, for 39 years until the park closed, and then it was purchased by Disney in 1967. Um, then it went through another refurbishment, and it was completely repainted to match the theme the of Cinderella. Cinderella theme. Okay. So... I don't really know if it makes any sense if Disney liked it because it was patriotic, because it does not look like that. To go with the theme, they painted all the horses white, mm-hmm. because white horses are associated with Cinderella, Yeah, I guess. They're, they're in the movie. They're in the movie. She so, has white horses so they that were, are mice, but now they're... Yeah. So it was installed at Magic Kingdom. It said that the placement was off from, like, the castle archway by, like, Eight inches, <gasps> and Roy made them move it. <laughs> oh my god, that—that's a Walt move, though. It was like, Roy though was, that did it. He was channeling his brother. Like, I'm going to be haunted like, for the rest of my life if you don't fix this. <laughs> <laughs> it needs to match up. In 2010, 
it no longer was Cinderella's golden carousel. It became Prince Charming's regal carousel. So then, one thing that I said we were going to get to, you tried to jump ahead, was the Diamond Horseshoe Review. Yeah. It was a stage show, Old West style, with dancing and comedy and singing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Something you would expect to be bawdy, but you're still at the Magic Kingdom. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. And there was a comedian um, named Wally Bog who relocated from Disneyland to the Magic Kingdom for like the first yeah, three years. Yeah, Wally Bog, he's huge. He, he did yeah. a lot of voice stuff for a lot of the rides, yeah. too, and some of the films. Yeah. So he, he was in that. Mm-hmm. It was an opening day attraction. It went through a lot of changes over the years. <laughs> Like, it was renamed to the Diamond Horseshoe Jamboree mm-hmm. in 1985. Then, like, went back to its original name. Then it became, like, a counter service place with entertainment. But then, like, no entertainment, just counter service place. For a while, it was, like, the Goofy's Country Dancing Jamboree. Then it was just, like, a sandwich shop. Then it was seasonal only. And then it closed for a while. Opened for, like, a Halloween thing. Closed again. When you said it's seasonal, it was closed. Okay. Like, okay. It was closed when we were there. It said it was seasonal. It wasn't actually operational for a couple of years. I thought we were just out of season. This year, though, this year, just a couple months ago, it is now a table service restaurant. Well, isn't that lovely? People are very upset, though, because it doesn't have, like... The review? A review. So I feel like they'll if they listen to, to it, that, that's something that will probably be added, I feel so, like. So, yeah. With the way people are like, what... When they listen to this episode, first, they'll they'll put some dancing ladies in the restaurant again. <laughs> Second, they'll give us uh, passes for a five-night stay. So I can review it. Yeah. And tell people So to you go can there. review it five times. Yeah. The Mike Fink keel boats, you mentioned those, are no longer there. You are correct. Those are gone. They were small boats that went around, like, the rivers of America, themed to Davy Crockett. Those closed in 2001. Fun fact about some of the other boat traffic in that neighborhood. The paddle boat? Yeah. That is not actually being paddled. It runs on a track underneath the river. Yeah. And so they have to color the river uh, so that you don't see the track. Yeah, that's why most of the uh, water things throughout Disney are like odd colors. Mm-hmm. Slightly off like natural colors. So you don't see through it to yeah. the track. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense that there's a track. Like, how would you steer that thing around that little circle if there was not a track? <laughs> yeah, yeah, those like, are tighter that corners than uh, this river. Like, that thing would have been multiple times. <laughs> Do you ever hear about the Timekeeper? Maybe. Please tell me about the Timekeeper. So the Timekeeper was a ride from 1994 to 2006. Okay. It was a clone of an opening day attraction at Disneyland Paris. Because that was so successful. Got got to import all the good stuff from there. I I remember this ride. I remember it. And I think I remember it being really cool. So the original Paris version opened in 1992. And it was the first Circle Vision show that was arranged and filmed with a plot. Uh Uh-huh. And utilized audio animatronics. um, There there had been a Circle Vision theater from near opening to this point showing a bunch of different things. Yeah. But none of them ever had, like, a plot. They weren't, like, story. They weren't an adventure. They were, like... usually, like, musical reviews of some kind. They were musical reviews, or they were, like, let's show you lots of random images of nature Mm -hmm. to a song. That's nice. But but now we've finally got a story in this. Yeah, there's a story. And then they added in audio animatronics, too. Of course. 
When it opened at Magic Kingdom in 1994, the theater was called the Transportarium. Sure. And the movie was called From Time to Time. Five months later, it was the theaters changed to Tomorrowland Metropolis Science Center, and the film was known as The Timekeeper. Mm-hmm. The version at Magic Kingdom was actually the last of all of them to close. It so, outlived the Paris one. Well, you um, know how fashions come and go in France. <laughs> but the sto- so the Timekeeper was a character that had a time machine. Naturally. And it was voiced by Robin Williams. Okay. So you joined him in using like his time machine for the first time. And you watched his robot that was called Nine-Eye. Nine-Eye was his circumvisual photo droid. Which is how he takes 360-degree uh-huh. video, which is what you are seeing uh-huh. in the fiction uh-huh. of the film. And so Nine-Eye is sent back in time. And Nine-Eye uh, is sent to like different points in time. And he meets uh, Da Vinci and Mozart. And H.G. Wells and Jules Verne. And, like, there's all these interactions with those characters. Um, when he meets Verne, he tries to get, like, a closer look at him. At, oh, at Nine-Eye. nosy, nosy Jules. And the, the timekeeper kind of, like, freaks out and, like, pulls him back. Like, no, don't look at him too much. You can't know about the future. Well, he accidentally pulls him back with him, too. Oh, no. And so then he gets to, like, explore for a little while and see the future. But then they send him back. And then they send, like, Nine-Eyes to the future where he sees uh, Jules Verne and H.G. Wells, and he's like, what are you doing here? And they're like, in the future, anything's possible. They hitched a ride <laughs> on a different robot, Nine-Eye. Come on. Recognize a pattern. <laughs> You're a robot. You should be good at that. Nine-Eye is like a really cool character. Mm-hmm. It's kind of steampunky, I guess, now, well, if, if you consider If you're going to meet Jules Verne and H.G. Wells, you better be steampunky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I remember being on that one. Maybe I just remember. I was there when that was open, so I think I Is, saw it. So uh, why why didn't I see this? What? Well, it closed, you know, before you were there. Right. But why didn't I see something in that space? Well, you did. It's the Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor. That's a decent show. That's all it right. Was, it was funny. Yeah. It was funny. It, it's not steampunky, so <laughs> I, I guess I missed out on that front. So keeping with audio animatronics, uh, we're going to talk about the Mickey Mouse review. It might be a little late for this, but let's quickly define audio animatronics. What is this word that, that keeps popping up? A, a robot, basically. Right. It's it's an animated thing mm-hmm. that speaks right. as so, well. Sort of like a computerized puppet. Yeah, it's a computerized puppet that can also speak. Mm-hmm. It's what they use in Hall of Presidents, Haunted Mansion, all those things. And it has this awkward name because it's a name Walt invented when he invented this technology. Yes, yes. So while everybody else moved on, they're sticking with it for, like, brand identity reasons. This is what we do. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's what we're talking about. So there's a, there used to be a steampunky robot, and now on opening day there was... The Mickey Mouse Review, which was an audio-animatronic stage show uh, that was hosted by Mickey... So, Mickey conducted an orchestra of uh, Disney characters. Okay. Um, I'm sure that went flawlessly. Stayed open for quite a while. Well, I'm thinking of that, like, band practice cartoon. I think it was one of the first (laughs) color Mickey shorts. Yeah. It didn't go so well canonically. (laughs) One thing that's cool is um, Walt apparently uh, mentioned an idea in the 60s. For Mm -hmm. an animatronic attraction that would utilize a lot of Disney characters. Right, Which is what this did. 
I mean, there was a super long list of all the characters that appear in it and, like, what instrument they're playing. Mm-hmm. So it sounded like a really cool thing. And for that many, like, animatronic characters to be there. Mm-hmm. It did close, though. And it was moved to Tokyo Disneyland. So Mickey Mouse Review was replaced by Magic Journeys in 1987, which was a 3D film that had operated at Epcot previous years. Mm-hmm. It looked through the world through the eyes of a child. A kid would, like, do something and that morphed into something else. Like, I'm flying a kite. Now it's a bird. I don't know. It sounds really boring compared to, like, Mickey and all his friends in an orchestra. It, it seems thin conceptually. In 1984, Legend of the Lion King opened, which was a life-size, fully articulated puppets telling the story of the Lion King. The Mufasa puppet apparently was like, or seven feet long by six feet tall. That's a lot of Mufasa. Yeah. Apparently, like, the stage was bigger than the audience seating area for this one. Well, that's going to really screw with your... your, uh... With your seating flow, it better be a short show because you got to get these people moving. And then in 2003, uh, Mickey's Philhar Magic opened, which we saw. I liked it quite a bit. I really liked it. I did not know anything about it, and we went in. I and knew I was it was like, air conditioned. Yeah, we were like, heck "Ooh, <laughs> air, cool, let's go!" And it was really neat. Yeah. It's um, a 4D film. So it's uh, a 3D film where they do stuff to you. Yeah, there's some bubbles and water and air and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's one of the few attractions where uh, Imagineers collaborated with another division, specifically Walt Disney Feature Animation. Uh Uh-huh. Several known animators came onto the project to, like, animate certain characters. Mm -hmm. uh, And most of Donald Duck's dialogue is actually archival recordings from the original voice actor. Oh. Like, the current... That's so cool. The current Donald voice actor like only recorded like five lines for the entire thing everything else was archival which is really neat it'd be cool to like i don't know see like a breakdown of like what yeah yeah is what uh i kind of i also like that it kind of circled back around to like mickey and an orchestra yeah like that's really neat you know it changed multiple times it's a completely different thing now but it's connected back now we're going to talk about tropical serenade Presented um, by Florida Citrus Growers. I don't know. I don't recognize that name. <laughs> no? I, I've never heard of this. No? So why don't you tell me about it and educate me? It's an opening day attraction. It's the Enchanted Tiki Room. Oh, yeah. The main show is the same as the Disneyland show that opened in 1963, but the building and pre-show were unique to Walt Disney World. If you look at pictures of them side by side, for one thing, the, the facade of the showroom in the, the Magic Kingdom version is like six stories tall or something. Yeah. It's really, really big. Do you know about Orange Bird? I think you know about Orange Bird. I think we saw Orange Bird around. Teach me about Orange Bird. Orange Bird was a bird with an orange head. An orange for a head. An orange for a head. An like, orange for a head. Like an orange, the fruit so was a, its a head. a citrus fruit with a beak and a bird body. Yeah. That's horrifying, dear. <laughs> it's actually that's, very cute. That's an abomination that should not be. <laughs> so it was a promotional uh, mascot. Mm-hmm. Florida citrus growers commissioned uh, Disney to design it um, since they were sponsoring the attraction. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it would greet people in costume. There are pictures of it. Quite honestly, the little cartoon character is very adorable. Seeing it in a costume character walking around is terrifying. (laughs) 
So Tropical Serenade was what this ride was, this attraction was, Mm -hmm. until 1997. So in 1997, it closed for seven months. And in 1998, it reopened as the Enchanted Tiki Room under new management with Iago and Zazu. Film characters coming into Uh a a park original property, Uh I guess. Many of the the Polynesian songs were replaced by like more pop music, and it wasn't very well liked. And but, no one wants to listen to Gilbert Godfrey. That I think is the big thing. <laughs> That's the big one. So in 2011, mm-hmm. there was a small fire. I like to think it was not accidental. <laughs> that there was like a conspiracy there to get rid of it. Do you think Zazu did it? I like to think someone who did it what them there did it. <laughs> Cast member who was really tired of Godfrey talking. Uh, I think it was the Tiki gods rejecting <laughs> the new management. Maybe that. Maybe that. They'd had enough. They needed to strike. So it was a minor fire. Even though it was minor, like it didn't reopen right away. Though, though the fire was minor and left some things alone, didn't it damage a lot of the like more important stuff in like the centerpiece? All the information about what was damaged is all, like, rumored. From what I can tell, there was never, like, an actual statement about what was damaged. So it was, I might be telling tales out of school here. When you go looking for information, there's, like, seven different, oh, it damaged this. No, it damaged this. No, this wasn't damaged. No, like, it all conflicts. It's hard to know. So in August of that year, they announced that it would reopen as Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. With the original charm back, just mm-hmm. not the Florida name, uh-huh. not Tropical Serenade. It would have the Disneyland traditional name. It was back to the original way, um, but it was shortened. Mm-hmm. And Orange Bird was no longer like a part of it. <laughs> it was not like seen as a mascot or anything. Though you can still find Orange Bird on souvenirs. Never give up a copyright if you can sell merchandise. It is the Walt Disney World way. <laughs> Flight to the moon. Do you know about flight to the moon? I've never been there myself. I hope to. That'd be nice. Well, not many people know about flight to the moon because it did not last long. (laughs) It lasted four years. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Flight to the moon was quickly replaced by Mission to Mars. So flight to the moon lasted from 1971 to 1975. Mission Mm -hmm. to Mars took over from 1975 to 1993. That's a pretty long run. They are... Pretty much the same ride. So I, I guess the decision to change it was that going to the moon wasn't science fiction anymore? Exactly. It, We've done it. Right. Okay. It's, it's it's not that interesting anymore. So now we need to go to Mars. The ride itself followed kind of the same story. Okay. You know, you would enter a mission, mission control area. There'd be audio animatronic technicians and like a flight director who would explain travel after the pre-show, you were moved into uh, the circular theater and boarded a spaceship. And the one you would travel to the moon, and the other one you travel to Mars. The ship would get damaged. You would have to travel back. And I'm, it was very exciting. I imagine flashing lights and shaking. Lots of shaking and lots of you know simulator uh, type stuff happening. Right. Uh, Mission to Mars was the first Disney park attraction to become a feature film, to inspire a feature film. It was awful. Well, Mission to Mars was also designed in cooperation with NASA. Yeah, I, is- I hope the uh, ride was better for them than the movie. It's a bad movie. <laughs> so when Mission to Mars closed in 1983, then it came 
alien encounter. Uh, extraterrestrial alien encounter. Yeah. The, the most unwieldy name. <laughs> so they kept the theater in the round. It was not intended for children under 12. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, walking by that thing terrified me when I was there. Like, I couldn't walk by it. I was so scared. I didn't even go. I did not set foot on it. I couldn't walk by it. My, my favorite thing about this ride is that it started its life as an alien tie-in, like Sigourney Weaver, Ridley Scott, Alien. Yeah. Uh, that got dropped, but not much else changed. It opened in December, and Michael Eisner closed it in January because it wasn't intense enough. He made them close it until June to intensify it. It was not scaring people enough. I guess, like, maybe this isn't how it was in 1994, but the whole Magic Kingdom seems very, like, PG-rated. Yes. There's not much for teens. Mm -hmm. There's fun stuff for adults who know how to lighten up. Teens don't know how to lighten up. You, you got your few roller coasters, and that's about it. That's about that. it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think this was definitely an attempt to, like, connect to different generations, different interests, um, which that brought on, like, criticism from a lot of people who was like, this does not fit with the idea. Right. But then it also, like, there are people who loved it. <laughs> loved it. I don't know if I could have survived it. The darkness, the alien, and them using, like, the speaker systems so it's, like, it's there and, like, breathing on you. And, ugh. Apparently, Tyra Banks, Tim Curry, and Kathy and Jimmy were in it, though. Oh, man. Two out of those three people are my favorite actors. <laughs> so that, that closed in 2003. And in 2004, Stitch's Great Escape opened, which a lot of people were very upset about. It's I think it's the most hated attraction, maybe in the entire Disney World complex. And I don't really get it. I mean, it's not super awesome. But quite frankly... I was creeped out enough about like the the like air puffs that were made it seem like stuff was crawling on me and maybe, the, maybe it that's, was scary. It was kind of scary. Maybe that's the point. Like the the divide between the Stitch character, which is lighthearted, gross out humor, and then being freaked the heck out. Then we have the Grand Prix Raceway. Do we have to have it? I have good news though about it. Good history news. It will okay. make you happy. All right, let's start at the beginning though. Okay. Let's explain what this is. It, it is the worst ride ever. It's sort of like go-karts, but they <laughs> but go not? like three miles an hour, but they're still just as loud and just as smelly. And, and you don't actually get to like steer steer because it's on a little track. It's on a track, but you kind of have to steer. Otherwise, you just bang from one side to another. And it's not fun. It's really not. The ride was a lot longer when it opened. Mm -hmm. And then in 1974, it was reduced for Space Mountain. Then it was shortened again for Mickey's Birthday Land in 1987. Okay. And then in 2012, it was shortened again for the move of Dumbo. We need to move more stuff into that neighborhood. Yes, we're so close to losing all of it. <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> in 1994, it was renamed to Tomorrowland Indie Speedway. Nothing changed. Just the name. Mm -hmm. In 1999, Walt Disney Company partnered with Indianapolis Motor Speedway to change the theme, which was basically just like adding a gasoline alley and wheel and wing logos. Right. And getting a big fat check from Indianapolis Motor Speedway. A lot of these rides tend to live or die on their uh, sponsorships, especially in Tomorrowland. And yeah. when we get around to doing the Epcot episode, for sure. Oh, yeah. In 2008, 
it was changed just to Tomorrowland Speedway as we know it now. So you mentioned 2,000 Leagues Under the Sea earlier. Yeah. And how everyone thinks it's an opening day ride, but it's not. It, it got real close. It, it got close. darn close. It was close, but it's not. Um, so it was inspired by the submarine voyage at Disneyland, which opened in 1959. Which they, they had that ride at Disneyland and it was really, really popular. And they're like, we, we want to take this to the Florida project, but we want to make it more elaborate. Mm-hmm. And they decided to theme it to 20,000 leagues. Being Walt Disney Company's first live action film. Yes. Makes perfect sense. Yes. Fun fact, the vehicles are not actually submarines. <laughs> they are just boats, and you just sit below the water level. Mm-hmm. The Disney World version ended up being pretty much exactly like the submarine voyage at Disneyland, except just themed. Like, mm-hmm. it does exactly the same thing, like the same track route and every Like, it, they just copied that part of it. <laughs> it doesn't seem like that was the original plan, but that's what happened. The ride was super popular, but really expensive to maintain. I mean, yeah, it, it's the only ride you have to worry about leaks at this point. It's also super low, like, capacity. The ride took a little while. They couldn't take that many people on them. And in 1994, it just closed without notice. Suddenly, it just wasn't open. And they claimed it was temporary. But two years later, they finally <laughs> said, no, this it, isn't opening again. It took them two years to say temporary means forever? Yes. By that point, I think people could have guessed... That's why people are, like, very attached to this, I feel like. It's because they didn't, they didn't get a goodbye. You're not fooling anybody, Eisner. They were like, what? That's it? And then to make it, like, even more of, like, a sore thumb type thing where, like, the, the lagoon mm-hmm. stayed there for years. This fake lagoon that the fake submarines didn't go all the way under. Yes. And there was, like, a submarine that, like, sat there, too, in mm-hmm. the lagoon. But then they built, like, Ariel's Grotto, which was, like, a splash pad thing, and a meet-and-greet with Ariel, like, in front of it. Mm-hmm. People just got to look at it and be like, <laughs> I never got to ride that thing again. I'm very upset. But then they eventually filled it in. It became Pooh's Playful Spot. And now it is where the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train sits. I feel like maybe Disney learned a lesson from that, that maybe, like, they can't just up and close a ride forever. Because people... Will hold a grudge. Well, they can, but it would be Should best they? If, if they did it honestly, with a little transparency. You gotta at least give us a couple months' notice. A couple months, so at least we can like come to terms with it. Electric light parade. I'm surprised you aren't booking a flight right now. That's fine. <laughs> if I had money, I would, but I don't. The 1964 New York's World's Fair mm-hmm. has a big connection to Disney. And huge strides in audio animatronics. Disney was contracted to help make rides for, or attractions for certain pavilions at the World's Fair. He he was an in-demand guy. He was very in-demand. So he actually um, had several things he was doing. For the Illinois Pavilion, he did great moments with Mr. Lincoln, Mm -hmm. which would go on to inspire the Hall of Presidents. Which I think was like the first human audio animatronic, right? I believe so. Like after singing birds comes Abraham Lincoln, the natural progression. They made such like big achievements in the development of 
like that Lincoln mm-hmm. audio animatronic. But then, like, even when they went on to do Hall of Presidents, like, they upped it even more. They they were able to take it to, take it to a completely different level by that point. Right. I, I love reading about people's experiences at great moments with Mr. Lincoln. Because mm-hmm. what happened was the, the Lincoln audio animatronic would uh, stand up and lip sync to a recording uh, of an actor reading, I think, the Gettysburg Address. Mm-hmm. And there would be, like, hand gestures. Yeah. And it looked very lifelike and it was very impressive. But then the way people remembered it, like, you'd have people writing home talking about, oh, my God, I saw Abraham Lincoln stand up, walk across the room, and shake hands with people. <laughs> people exaggerated it so much in their mind because it was so new yeah. and so, like, groundbreaking in this new physical form of animation. Yeah. They also had the Ford Motor Company presents Ford's Magic Skyway, which was kind of like a track where you sat in a car and you went through different experiences. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist as it was in any shape or form, but it helped inspire stuff like the People Mover and Spaceship Earth and other stuff like that, where so, you sit in something and you travel through and you witness other things alongside it. Okay, so, so it was like a trial run, a, a testing bed for the mover system that got yeah. used in so many attraction sets. Yeah. Oh, okay. One, one thing that is still left from it, which it's a Disneyland thing, but... There are these dinosaur diorama like things that you drove by that are actually along like the railroad at Disneyland. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff they put around the railroad there. <laughs> yeah. Um, that one deserves to be a D ticket ride. There's also uh Pepsi Cola presents Walt Disney's It's a Small World, a salute to UNICEF and the world's children. Very long name. By the time they finished saying it, you were done with the ride. <laughs> you can see the UNICEF booth in Two recent feature films, uh, Tomorrowland and Big Eyes. Yeah. The It's a Small World attraction, like, almost didn't happen. Yeah. uh, Because Disney was busy with those other projects, plus another one we haven't talked about yet, when Pepsi approached them. Mm -hmm. Like, they already had all this other stuff going. And then they only had 11 months (laughs) to create and build it. So It's a Small World was done, relatively speaking, overnight. Yeah. It was a rush job. Yeah. When you look at, like, the detail and how everything is different Mm -hmm. and, like, that is crazy. I mean, yeah, they they brought their A-team. It's a Sherman Brothers song. Mm -hmm. I forget the name of the artist. It's going to haunt me, but she's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, Small World went on, you know, to be at Disneyland and then to have a version at Disney World. Mattel originally sponsored the ride from opening day till 1998. Okay. Which... I did not know. But then it transferred its sponsorship to Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger. The the kids in Small World look like dolls. Buzz Lightyear actually is a doll. Well, and considering their, like, connection to Toy Story, yeah. Yeah. So, and then the other one that they were working on was uh, General Electric's Progress Land. Because Tomorrowland was taken. Disney took our name. We're going to take his work. Hire that man. So, General Electric approached... Walt to develop a show for their pavilion. Back in the 1950s, Walt wanted to expand Main Street USA at Disneyland to two districts. Mm -hmm. One being Edison Square. He wanted to show a chronological evolution of electricity in the home, showing electronic appliances. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to show that and like how it benefited American life. It never happened. 
partly because like the technology was not there yet mm-hmm. for what he wanted to do. So when GE approached him, Disney pulled out the same idea again. Like, I want to do this. This is what we should do. And they love the idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's electric. It's right in their name. Yeah. So the planning phase allowed Imagineers to perfect the animatronics needed mm-hmm. for this. They also created a carousel theater. So audiences would not have to move from one section to another. Everything else moves. Yeah, because the whole idea is, you know, there's going to be these different stages that people need to see. And the original idea was, oh, they're going to have to get up once this show's done, move to the next section, next section. Well, that takes forever. Let's just have the people rotate. It opened at the fair as Progress Land and was one of the most visited pavilions. Um, 200 people entered and exited every four minutes. But it said people like were still waited over an hour to get in it. <laughs> Progress Land became the Carousel of Progress. It's a great big beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. You're only singing that so that it'll get stuck in my head and I won't sleep tonight. Yep. It was moved to Tomorrowland in Disneyland from 1967 to 1973. It was reopened at the Magic Kingdom in 1975, where Mm -hmm. it has stayed. General Electric continued to sponsor the ride until 1985. Um, It has been updated five times in 1967, 1975, 1981, 85, and 1993. Could probably use another update. Right, right. It's been a while. So, yeah, uh, it has to be continually updated because, like, the carousel is divided into four scenes. Mm -hmm. So you start at, like, the turn of the century. Yep. Then you see uh, what life is like in the 20s. Yep. And then the 40s. And then sort of today slash near future. Yes, which is 1993. Yeah. Today keeps moving. (laughs) Just like the theater. We could really use an update. Yeah. It's part of me loves the, like, outdated charm of it. And part of me is like, <laughs> it is said that Walt Disney said it's his favorite attraction and it should never cease operation. And it is the only attraction at Walt Disney World to have been touched by Walt himself. That is true. Yeah. Which is kind of my feelings why it will never, ever leave. Right. It's It's got that history. It is the only thing it's, there. It's the only thing. Yeah. I mean, Disneyland is the only park Walt walked through. He didn't even live to see groundbreaking at Magic Kingdom. Yeah. But so they do have this one thing he touched. They, they keep invoking his legacy and his memory all over the place. But I, I guess Carousel of Progress is the one place where it's a literal fact. Yeah. I think it will be there for as long as Disney World exists. Can't we just make it like turn of the century, 40s? 80s today can't we just do a real deep gutting or figure out a way that the today can show like multiple time frames make make today like a history lesson of where we've come since then or something i don't know or just a looking ahead to the future but the future is always moving that's why tomorrowland is so keeps having to be updated and is so reliant on uh sponsors money to keep it updated tomorrowland as it is is science fiction except for Carousel of Progress. Yeah. It's the one thing that's at all factual. There's Unle- the people mover. Unless you really believe in people movers. I really like that people mover. It's, it, it is great. There's some really cool hidden stuff up there that 
you don't realize it's there until you ride it. And then it's like, ooh, cool. I've got a feeling some of that will come up in a later episode in this series. <laughs> Maybe. I could keep rambling about other rides for a long time, but I feel like we should probably just like okay. end. And what's a better way to end than with Carousel of Progress? Because it's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow, uh, <laughs> shining at the end of every day. Okay. So uh, thanks for joining us on our first of our what is sure to be a long-running Walt Disney World series. Uh, that might include Magic Kingdom Part 2. There's a lot of doors left open. I've got to ask you oh? if you learned anything. Oh, Probably my. not. Because <laughs> I think you know everything. <laughs> He became obsessed after our trip. <laughs> you understood what I was obsessed with. You understood. Why don't I answer this question sort of laterally? Okay. What I learned from being there. Okay, yeah, I, I suppose I learned relatively few facts from this recording. But what I learned from being there is that uh, as cynical as I can be, and as commercial as any theme park naturally is i mean one owned by one of the biggest like media conglomerates in the world but but all that aside just how it really is magic at the end of the day like you you let yourself melt into the, this incredibly themed and detailed and meticulously planned thing like and there's somebody pulling the strings of every minute of your experience. Everything you see, everything you smell, like someone has a hand in it. It, it rides this strange line between dystopia and paradise. I can see that. That's that's the Magic Kingdom to me. It's it's a fascinating gray area. Like depending on what angle you look at it, it it's a nightmare or it's heaven. And why not lie back and have fun riding the roller coasters? <laughs> And, and ease up, at least while you're there. That's what I learned. Okay. I also cool. learned some facts and numbers from you. <laughs> uh, so come see us after this break for some housekeeping. A man has a dream and that's the start. He follows his dream with mind and heart. And when it becomes a reality, it's a dream come true for you and me. So there's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow just a dream away. This has been a long one. Thank you for sticking with us. And yeah. uh, speaking of long ones, <laughs> this has been a record-breaking uh, listener mail prompt. Oh <laughs> Thank you all so much for writing, but here's the plan. We're usually a bi-weekly show. We're going to be putting out a supplemental where we catch up on all of your letters. So look mm -hmm. for that next Tuesday. Yep, because you guys just sent us too many emails. You sent us so many. <laughs> oh, I'm so flattered. And so many of them are so good. Yeah. So uh, we picked out a few just because it wouldn't be a complete episode without a few. But uh, most of you, just wait. We love you all. So uh, we got one from Alexander. No, Alexander, you didn't get my name right. It was very close. Very, very close. You one letter off. It's, it's okay. You, you can check your spelling against the uh, episode description at uh, historyhoneys.podbean.com. I'm I am used to it. Alexander, why you got into the email prompt today is that, to quote, they said, 
Really excited to hear from Elena about how a roller coaster exploded and destroyed three different Chicago orphanages next week. I wish I had that story to tell you. I wish I did. I'm glad you don't. (laughs) Quite frankly, for the orphan's sake. The amount of emails we got where people assumed I was just going to talk about a bunch of dead people at an amusement park is amazing. Only two. Only two. So Alexander's favorite ride is uh, the carnival ride Tilt-A-Whirl. It's classic. It's classic. So a big orb that spins one way. One track that spins the other way in a big circle, and it makes people very nauseous usually. I love that one. That one's great. I, I like the Tilt-A-Whirl as an example of the dual pendulum problem and how unpredictable they can be. You said, I bet a lot of Chicago, or I bet Chicago has a lot of really cool carnival rides and amusement parks. No, used to. Used to. There used to be a lot of Chicago amusement parks. That's actually an episode I'd really like to do one day. Currently, we got Navy Pier, and it's got a really big Ferris wheel now. That's about it. But thanks, Alexander. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for writing in. One letter I want to read is from our good friend Voidberger, who gave us quite a long email about the Wonders of Life Pavilion in Epcot. Oh, yes. Epcot is a different park in Walt Disney World. Wonders of Life has closed. Uh, It no longer exists. It's just used for, like festival overflow space yeah but in its heyday it was all about uh life science and body stuff so you got to test out optical illusions or sensory testing stations but there were two uh major attractions in here one was called body wars i loved body wars (laughs) i loved it so much it's a simulator ride where you do sort of a fantastic voyage thing going through the human body body wars was almost like if they made a ride out of that magic school bus book where like they go in arnold uh cranium command was sort of a film-ish thing where you're in the command center of a pubescent kid's brain and so you're talking to their organs sensory stuff glands Mm. and it had a really big name cast of 90s comedy folk like kevin nealon and george went from cheers and bobcat goldthwait as as your glands I'm enamored with a different thing that that used to be at the Wonders of Life Pavilion, The Making of Me, (laughs) which was about human reproduction. I totally saw that one, too. (laughs) (laughs) Where Martin Short played himself going back in time to witness his making. And you see him outside the delivery room where he's being born as a child. But the most disturbing part is where he peeks in and watches his own conception. Martin Short, what is your problem? (laughs) So thank you very much, Voidberger, for sharing that and giving me an excuse to share that story. One note I'd like to share before we move on from her letter is that we are going to be spending the weekend with her very, very soon. Yeah! From the morning of September the 2nd to the morning of September the 3rd for 24 hours. Yep. The two of us and her and a friend of ours are going to be playing the entire Gex series of video games streamed live for 24 hours. Why are we doing such a silly and ridiculous thing, dear? To raise money for the children's. 
That's right. There's an organization called Extra Life. Annually, people join in. They stream themselves playing games to collect donations for Children's Miracle Network hospitals. We are going to be raising funds specifically for... For Hurley's Children's Hospital in Flint, Michigan. That's right. I'm from Flint. Josh is from Flint. You're from just outside Flint. Just outside of Flint. Practically spent all my time there, though. (laughs) Holds a special place. I mean, we've got family there. We've got friends there. And the situation's not great, obviously, if you've paid much attention to American news before everything became election time. And uh, just because the nightly news has moved on doesn't mean the problems are over. The least we can do is raise some money to help sick kids afford the treatments they need in a city that doesn't have clean water, doesn't have safe streets, and doesn't have adequate schooling. We can at least fight disease by playing video games. So you'll find links to our donation page in the show notes, and I encourage our listeners to join us over Labor Day weekend. You'll find all the necessary links on our social media leading up to it. Uh, We're going to have a great time. Mm-hmm. There are going to be giveaways. Yes. And we oh, hope, yes, there are. <laughs> we, we hope to raise uh, a, plenty of money to make a, a great deal of difference in the lives of some children who need it. Uh, so, again, thanks for the letter, Voidberger. So, we got an email from Tennessee. Not the entire state. This not, is, not the state. This is a, a name a person goes by. Yes. Much like Indiana Jones. Yeah. Tennessee sent us an email. They said... Hailing from Ohio, we certainly have one quack load of different amusement park rides to choose from. Hey. <laughs> I love it. I I love I love that they have taken on our use of the quack. They went with a classic ride, which is the King's Island Viking ship swinger thing. So mm-hmm. that the swinging ship that you can get pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Um. They said it's intense enough for everyone without verging into a medieval torture device. Uh, it's a ride you can bring home to meet your parents. I, I actually don't like that ride. It makes me pretty nauseous. It, it really depends on how big your parents' door is. I, <laughs> I can see some logistical issues there. Okay, uh, wait. How do you rep Ohio Pride but yeah, not wait. go Cedar Point? Yeah, dude. I'm not okay with this now that I think I'm, about it. I'm not okay. Like, you got, you got Cedar Point. You got... So many things to choose from. There's that, like, gatekeeper thing that I'm, like, dreaming about riding. Where's my Millennium Force crew? Come on. That thing is amazing. Thanks for riding, Tennessee. Thanks. But maybe rethink your taste. (laughs) Uh, We got one from our composer. If you love... Woo! If you enjoy the music uh, that was made for this show, even half as much as we do, this is one of your favorite people, Thylacinus. Uh, there's a link to his SoundCloud page in the show notes of every show. Go check him out. So Thylacinus's favorite uh, ride and or attraction is the Fun House at Pike Amusement Park in Long Beach, California. This Fun House uh, had a dummy that, you know, would freak you out because it's a Fun House, but it turns out this dummy was the well-preserved remains of Elmer McCurdy, an infamous outlaw. Uh, you can hear more about this in uh, a, a rather inaccurate but still interesting song, The Cowboy Outlaw by uh, Brian Dewan. If, if nothing else, the song is a good demonstration of what one can do with a homemade electric zither. Which, I guess, explains some of the uh, instrumentation in our interstitials. Uh, <laughs> 
Thylacinus also corrects me talking about how Swiss people like sausages when in, in truth, the Swiss are all down for potato-based dishes, specifically rosti, the food of Thylacinus's childhood. No, no matter what I may or may not have done to uh, defame your, your potato pride, thank you very much for writing it. We have our good buddy. Our good, good buddy. Our good buddy Purin? Our good buddy Purin. He wrote us, his favorite ride is the mummy-themed ride in Singapore's Universal Studios. It's an indoor ride, and, uh, you know, you, you get the experience so much more of it. Mm-hmm. Even, like, if it doesn't accelerate as fast or it, it doesn't it, go it, as high, it feels... It feels like it. feels like it is. Especially with the lights out. Yeah. Oh, like, I love dark rides like that. I mean, we, we didn't talk much about Space Mountain in this episode, but it does that, like, all it is is a pretty simple roller coaster. Yeah. But you turn the lights out, and it's incredible. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. You do any, like, you ride even any outdoor roller coaster at night. It's a completely different experience than oh, riding sure, it during sure. the day. Uh, like, Goliath up at Six Flags, riding that thing at night. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Could not see what was coming. <laughs> but anyways, thank you for writing. Thank you so much, Pern. So that's all we're going to read right now. Again, we got more listener mail than ever before. You all had a lot to say on this topic. So in one week's time, look for a lot more letters chat and probably some outtakes of uh, some stuff that uh, was interesting enough to keep but didn't quite make the cut in the edit for this double-length-ish episode. (laughs) This is what happens. If you want to send a letter to get into an episode, supplemental or otherwise, uh, our address is... HistoryHoneysPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much, dear. Yeah, and uh, do you have a prompt for next week? Next episode, I would like to hear about people's favorite... Favorite public speeches. (laughs) I just don't know what I'd even say. I'm trying to get less than 50 email. (laughs) But, of course, we do have more than an email inbox. We have a Facebook page. And a Twitter. Yeah, and we love to talk to people. We love to hear from people any which way. Speaking of talking to people, we'd really appreciate it if you did that. So go tell a friend. Tell your mom. Tell person at the bank. We have had some people in their emails talk about telling their mom. Yeah. It warms my heart. Yeah. It's really nice. Yeah. So tell anyone you think might be interested uh, in our show, whether it's just for one episode or for the whole thing. There's been some some great stories about people kind of connecting over that, Mm -hmm. over uh, finding similar interests. So if you know someone who you think might like it, pass this on. And uh, while you're at it, why not just give us a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, the, the podcatcher of your choice, uh, so that strangers can find us too through the magic of algorithms. It, it helps quite a bit, and we really do appreciate mm-hmm. it. So thank you to everyone who has in all of the various international iTunes stores. A very heartfelt thank you to you all. And you you can get in on that thank you. It's so easy. <laughs> I guess with that, all that's left to say is... I'm Elena. And I'm Grant. And history's better with with your honey. honey.